It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One, and I am joined by the man who co-hosts Stick to Football on Bleacher Report, and also is co-host of the brand new podcast series Badlands, which if you haven't subscribed to yet, you really should. It was a ten-part docu series, and now they're doing shows. I'd say once a week with some very special guests, including an All-Pro linebacker you may have heard of this past week by the name of C.J. Mosley. Pretty good player, I think. You know, he might make it in the NFL someday. Mr. Connor Rogers. Connor, how's it going, man? It's going, Scott. You know, staying inside, uh, doing my service, and just, you know, waiting this out and, and hoping for some, you know, some better news in the next month or two here. How are you? Just trying to get by one day at a time, and Connor, I think we can both agree we should be grateful for the NFL draft being a distraction from all the madness going on outside in the real world. Yeah, it's true. I mean, a lot of people have been asking me, you know, how this affected my work life or, you know, and I always tell people April and the second half of March are really my shutdown time of the year anyway, because I'm trying to make sure I get in as much draft study as I can for our three-day live coverage at Bleacher Report where we grade every single pick. So I think for me, you know, not much has changed. I'm fortunate that not much has changed in terms of my workflow uh, because of the NFL draft dates have not moved. So it's been, it's been a welcome distraction, I will say that. And your draft grades for the Jets will be exclusively available at Badlands. So for anybody who's looking for another reason to subscribe, make sure that you subscribe over at Badlands now on Podbean, and we'll talk about how they can hit you up on Twitter and Joe on Twitter later in terms of finding the link if they can't go looking for it. But before we get to that, Connor, let's talk about what you do, and that is, of course, analyze the draft and the prospects. You do it all year long, so as you said, this is sort of your shutdown time of year because you're getting prepared, and so I like to think of this as sort of sparring a little bit of warm-up when you come on to the podcast and talk a little bit about these prospects and who may be a good fit for the Jets. So let's start with the big four offensive tackles that everybody's been talking about. This sort of reminds me a little bit in a different way of the 2018 draft when everybody was talking about the big four quarterbacks. Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold. It was, who do you like the best? And everybody had different rankings. Everybody thought that certain guys were going to go in certain spots. The Jets surprised some people by trading up right after Kirk Cousins spurned them. So they put themselves in a position where there was no way they were going to lose out on all of those quarterbacks. They were going to get at least one of them. And now the Jets are in a situation where sitting at number 11, there is an actual possibility that all four offensive tackles go ahead of them. Now, I don't know that it's 
necessarily going to happen, but there's a scenario in which it could. So we'll get to the doomsday scenario and what you might do if it happens. But first, let's analyze these four tackles. What do you think about Tristan Wirfs, Makai Becton, Jedrick Wills, and Andrew Thomas? Well, you know, to put it quite simply, I love this tackle class. And you just, as a draft evaluator or any evaluator of football, you just don't get a group like this every year. You really don't get a group like this every other year. It, it feels like get this kind of lucky. Maybe twice a decade I'd really have to through and, and dig through and I think why I say that is because it has a little bit of everything you know Jedrick Wills to me is the top tackle in this class you don't get a tackle prospect like him very often now I think people are missing the picture when they look at the surface level of it and that's that he played right tackle at Alabama so people are concerned he could play on the left side he can play on the left side he they had a lefty starting quarterback there by the name of Tua Tungabailoa, so they, they wanted Jedrick Wills to protect his blind side. It, it really makes sense when you put it like that. And we had him on Stick to Football, and he was telling us, you know, during this training, he's been prepping like crazy to play on either side just to be ready for whatever team drafts him. That kind of athlete at that size is a special, special player. Really, really strong run blocker. Really athletic pass protector. And then, you know, the same could be said for Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, one of the best athletes we've seen at the combine, at offensive line in quite some time, and a player that, because of length restrictions, some teams were projecting as a guard. I think he's a very good tackle prospect. Another guy that played right tackle in college and some snaps at left tackle as well. And that's because at Iowa, you know, when you have a penciled-in starter, they don't give up their job, and they had a penciled-in left tackle, so Wirfs had to play on the right side. Well, like I said, he did get plenty of snaps on the left side as well. His ability at the second level as a run blocker is some of the best I've ever seen since I've been doing the draft. I, I look at him, and when he gets to the outside or climbs to the second level in the run game, it reminds me of Zach Martin. That's how good he is, how nimble he is, and how athletic he is. And is he a perfect pass protector? No, but he's still developing there, and I think he's going to become a very, very good one with some good coaching at the next level. So both of those guys, to me, are just phenomenal prospects. And then you get to Andrew Thomas, and I'm going in order of how I have them ranked. Andrew Thomas, third. Andrew Thomas is just like the old, reliable car that you have that you love it. It might not look the best. It might not, you know, impress everyone on the surface level of things, but it gets the job done consistently every single time. And with Andrew Thomas, the reason I say that is he comes into the year he was my top offensive tackle prospect, and he did nothing wrong to, to lose that spot. And when I say that is he didn't really drop on my overall rankings. He just dropped on my tackle rankings because Worfs and Wills took such big astronomical jumps that I didn't see coming. But with Thomas, getting back to this player, I mean, you talk about a high IQ, nasty demeanor, a great leader, a permanent team captain of Georgia – he comes to Georgia as a five-star prospect. He starts at right tackle as a true freshman. He earns freshman All-American honors while doing that. Then he goes to the left side. He's just rock solid on the left side for two years. He's got enough giddy-up for a big guy to get outside and run block. He loves to finish his blocks. He's highly competitive. Like I said, the IQ is on a different level where he's constantly understanding how to pick up or pass off stunts. He understands his spacing very well. He never he doesn't really overreact a ton where he, he's comfortable letting pass rushers run themselves out of the arc and push them out, let themselves run them out of a play. 
of his his low lights in quotes sacks given up or a fault of Jake Fromm who just couldn't move felt like he was in quicksand half the time where I can't even put all that blame on Thomas so I, I love Andrew Thomas and think one edge he has in this class is that with no rookie camp or OTAs he's a plug and play guy on left or right side from day one and and he has the the mindset to really succeed there right away so those three tackle prospects I, it might be crazy to some people, but I call them can't miss because at a, at their floor is you're getting an average starter and they all have the upside to be very, very good players. And then becomes the, the big guy literally at four, Makai Becton. Becton is the biggest spectrum player. And what I mean by that is his floor is he's out of the league in three years. His ceiling is he's a top two tackle in the league in three years. And I, I truly mean that. I'm talking a franchise elite you know, Trent Williams or Tyron Smith level player if he develops the way he can. And maybe he falls somewhere in the middle of that, Scott, and that's okay. I think when you watch Becton's film, the great is that he's probably the most physically imposing run blocker that we've had in the draft, and God only knows how long. I mean, he he carries guys off the screen, throws them out of the way, punches, pushes, finishes – he gets excited about it. He's on a different level how physically imposing he is out there. Now, the questions are, he hasn't taken a ton of true pass sets coming out of that offense of Louisville where he's asked to pass protect the way he will at the NFL. So, you know, you're curious how he's going to handle counter moves at the NFL level. You're curious how he's going to handle the speed and bend of NFL rushers at the next level. So with Becton, there might be a learning curve there in terms of developing as a pass protector, but he has a lot of reps at left tackle this year. And I think when you look at him, uh, there's, you know, he's a guy that when he gets off the bus, he's as intimidating as it gets. And it shows up on the film. I had two observations that I think are interesting and tell a lot about this class. And I was curious what you think of this. And by the way, I think I disagree a little bit on Makai Becton in the sense that I don't know that his floor is out of the league in two or three years. I think his floor is probably more like an okay player. But I think that if this was any other year, we would be talking a lot about the supreme athleticism of Jedrick Wills. But because of Becton and Wirfs, We're not really talking about it because it doesn't stand out as much. And the other thing is Andrew Thomas. Almost any other year, he would be a no doubt about it OT1. As you said, very reliable. Reminds me a little bit of DeBrickishaw Ferguson that way. Not stylistically, but in the sense that you feel like you could put him at left tackle for 10 years and you don't have to worry about that position. May not ever be an elite player, but going to be probably a top 10 to 12 guy for a really long time. And if this was any other year, he'd probably be, no doubt about it, top of the draft class at tackle. But because this year is so stacked, there are some teams that may have him as offensive tackle number four. Would you agree with those two observations about Wills and Thomas? Yeah, I would. I think when you look at it, number one, the point about Wills is phenomenal because how athletic he is for his size. I mean, you're talking somebody that can do things a tight end can do in terms of blocking when a tight end is put you know with his hand in the dirt and asked to you know whether it's to get outside at an alarming rate to get his hands on a corner or climb to a safety or climb to a linebacker wills can do that from the tackle spot and i don't think people realize how special that is 
when you're good at everything else. Like, here's a good example that Jets fans can relate to. George Fant, the guy they signed in free agency to pencil in at left tackle right now, he actually can do that. He, he's such a good athlete, George Fant, that he could get – he could outside zone block in the run game as good as I've really seen, um, you know, from the guys that were available in free agency – he just can't pass protect because he doesn't have the base strength to do it consistently. He gets driven back into the quarterback. That's why Fant was loved in Seattle as their sixth offensive lineman because he the things he could do athletically in the run game. Wills is the complete package. He could do all of those things while keeping your quarterback upright. And he's just he's just nasty. I really, you know, if people listening to this show want to hear him, go back on whether it's Bleacher Reports, YouTube, or Apple Podcasts, you'll find it right away with Stick to Football. He's one of my favorite players we talked to this year just because of his mindset. He's honest. He's he's humble, but he's competitive humble, where he, he believes in himself so much, but he, he also is realistic about himself. And I just really – I love this player. And Thomas is the same thing. And I'm looking forward to when we get to talk to him on the show because Andrew Thomas is somebody that just gets the job done. And he, he loves playing football. He, he, like you said, Scott, to have a guy that you play at left tackle, left tackle and you forget about for 10 years, I don't think Jets fans, and I understand it because I was one of them, realize how fortunate you are to have that until it's over. And then you're looking at left tackle every year and you're like, God, this is killing our offense. Every single drive, every other play, if they don't dedicate help. And with Brick, it never felt like that. And with Thomas at Georgia – once again, it was never like that. And he's going to project that way at the next level because you're going to forget about him because he might not do some of the flashy stuff Worfs and Wills do or Becton do. And there are some really good run blocking reps in there. I want to make that very clear. But, man, I'm telling you, it's just somebody that – it's almost like he doesn't get enough credit because of that play style, the highlights, the offensive line highlights. But he's going to be a really, really good pro. Let's talk a little bit about some secondary options here at offensive tackle because there is that nightmare scenario, Connor, where the Jets aren't able to get one of those four guys and they sit there at number 11 and they have to go in another direction. Now, I want to get to other positions in a bit, but first, let's say they're sitting at 11. Is there a possibility, do you think, that they could get somebody like Josh Jones at 11 or is that a little too rich? Maybe they wouldn't want to reach there. Or if they trade down, maybe somebody like Josh Jones, Austin Jackson, somebody along those lines. Who do you like once you get past the big four? Yeah, so when I look at this, Josh Jones is the clear-cut number five guy. Now, I would really struggle taking a tackle outside the big four at 11. I think that's what I like to call bad draft strategy because – Something I go over in the draft this year, we do grades, and I, I I knock people. You know, I think I'm the only one on the show that does this, but I knock people for not understanding draft strategy. And I did this with the Daniel Jones pick with the Giants, not because – and part of it was because I didn't think Daniel Jones, you know, was going to be a great player. But a lot of it was because you need to understand how to move the draft to become a good GM and a successful team builder. Didn't, nobody's, nobody was taking Daniel Jones in the top 14 picks. And the Giants had the ability to move around the board and acquire more capital for, to be realistic, a defense that had no pieces and an offensive line that needed a lot more help. A lot of different areas of the team needed help. And, and instead they sat pat. Now, with a quarterback, I understand it a little bit more because you sit there and you go, if you believe this is our guy, you get him. Now, with other positions, it's totally different ballgame. 
And with 11 with the Jets, Josh Jones is a, is a decent tackle prospect, another good athlete, light feet, another guy that can move outside and against, you know, in the run game very well, a very athletic mirror kind of pass, pass protector. Wants a, a little bit of concerns about base strength for me that could be developed, but I just don't know if he, you just don't take him at 11 because if the top tackles are gone, that means CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy are on the board. And they are not even in the same stratosphere in terms of grades compared to the next, you know, string of tackles. And the Jets need a number one wide receiver. It's not like they're, they're you know, all those years they took these luxury picks on the defensive line. This is not the same scenario. The Jets need a number one wide receiver. There's two sitting right there looking at you in the face. I think those guys are great. I even like Henry Ruggs. I would just t- – he'd be third of the bunch. So, for me, no, I, I don't know how they could do that. It would be – what I like to call bad draft strategy. And I'd be very curious to see how Joe Douglas plays it out. So it sounds like if the four tackles are off the board, you would definitely go wide receiver barring a trade down. But are there any of the four tackles that you would pass on for Lamb or Judy? Because it sounds like that might be something you'd consider. It's tricky. I'll say this. This is my problem with how the lack of inactivity on the offensive line. As a... Somebody who's thinking a couple months ahead, and I'm not saying Joe Douglas isn't because there's a reason he's in the Jets GM chair and I'm, <laughs> I'm at home you know, covering the draft as a media analyst. I like to give a chuckle about that. I would have found every – I would you know, really turned over every stone to solve left tackle knowing I'm picking at 11. Because if, I, if you sat here, Scott, and told me, hey, you know, if there's some, some future teller saying, hey, you're getting one of Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, or Andrew Thomas at 11 – Great. But there's no guarantee of that, like you just said. Now, I like the potential of Makai Becton, but I don't think the Jets are in a position where, you know, that's a swing for the fences kind of pick. And for the Jets right now, they need a high floor player on this offensive line. They can't miss. So I really would have looked at options of trying to solve, upgrade this offensive line at tackle in the offseason, whether it was the one I really like trading for Trent Williams. I would have explored Jason Peters' market as a stopgap. That opens the door for you taking C.D. Lamb, who I would take, by the way, as the top receiver, or Jerry Judy at 11, even if Makai Becton's there. Because you already feel good about what you have on the offensive line in that scenario. Now you're helping your quarterback in multiple ways. You, You feel good about the veterans on the offensive line. And then he's throwing to really good young wide receivers. I would still take another wide receiver on day two. That's how thin they are at that group. I feel like this, what, the way they've gone so far and why I've been vocally, not overly critical, but more honest of it, and I would say lukewarm on the entire strategy, is that it's just a slow trickle to help a quarterback that deserves better. I mean, he's 22 years old. He, he is, he's played now, you know, two years in the league with no help, uh, horrible coaching decisions every single year. I, I mean, I thought Jeremy Bates did some good things for him. I thought Adam Gase was absolutely atrocious last year in, in developing Sam Darnold and finding ways to develop him. It's amazing. They dra- downgraded from Bates. And hopefully things get better with better players this year for Gase. You know, you have to have that hope. But I think when it comes to it, and Joe Douglas is on a six-year deal, so he it seems like he's not moving at an alarming rate. I understand that side of it. But, man, I, he really would like to go into this season and give Sam Darnold a chance. And that's just my overall feelings. Instead of, hey, we added, you know, 
one good player at 11 and a couple, honestly, besides McGovern, a lot of mediocre in free agency. Connor, along those lines, I think most people agree, whether they want the receiver at 11 or the tackle at 11, that the Jets have to make massive investments on the offensive line and at wide receiver in this draft because, as you said, they've got to do everything they can to put Sam Darnold in a position to succeed in 2020 and take that next step. So, regardless of whether they go wide receiver at 11 or tackle at 11, they're going to more than likely go into rounds two through four, which are key rounds, and try and grab a bunch of players at wide receiver and an offensive line that could be hopefully instant starters, but more importantly, long-term pieces. Talk to me a little bit about some of the guys that you think are really good targets for the Jets between rounds two and four on the offensive line and a wide receiver. Yeah, well, my favorite day two wide receiver specifically for the Jets is Michael Pittman. And the reason I say that with Pittman is he checks every box in terms of, it goes back to my high floor argument here, you know, with, with the Jets and, and why they need to really, you know, and also once again, the no rookie minicamp, no OTAs, any pro ready players. Here's the scoop on Pittman, uh, you know, size speed, number one, six, four, two, 23, uh, four, five, two, 40, you know, top five, three cone, top two, 20 yard shuttle. So phenomenal athlete considering he's six, four, two, 23. Those numbers are, uh, honestly ridiculous the 40 might not you know turn some heads but it's a good number at that size let me tell you that and the three cone and the 20 yard shuttle are phenomenal at production last two seasons over 2,000 yards combined 142 catches in the last two seasons and USC since Sam Darnold left has just played musical chairs at quarterback over and over again so that's even more insane when you factor in that phenomenal character leader insanely tough insanely competitive very very smart obvious football background uh incredible once again just a tough player fights for the ball over defenders fights through you know contact can win down the field can win over the middle dominates in the red zone phenomenal hands uh, 2.7 drop rate that's some of the best i think that's top five in this draft class i think he had three drops last year on an unbelievable amount of targets. So, uh, and once, and here's the kicker, Scott, it's sophomore year, Pittman, Sam Darnold was throwing to Michael Pittman. Mm -hmm. So when Pittman was a sophomore, these two played together and they still train together right now. They've been, you know, doing some work together leading up to the draft. It's just such a no brainer. If he's there at 48, which is no guarantee uh, for a guy that can come in and have a rapport with the quarterback right away that, really upgrades areas they're so poor in what the red zone passing offense is a big one and then getting away from Pittman more wide receivers I like Lynn Bowden a lot he had to play quarterback this year for Kentucky but really good wide receiver phenomenal after the catch Uh, maybe the best punt returner in the class just really really tough we'll go across the middle we'll work in the red zone like I said, nobody creates after the catch like him in, in that regard. The speedsters, Ayuk and, and Hamler, they can win over the top. I think both will be there, could be there at 48. These guys can fly. And, you know, I really like this wide receiver group a lot, if you can't tell. Van Jefferson, a nice possession mm-hmm. guy. And then getting away, the problem I have with corner and edge pass rush is that these groups really trickle off early on. I, with edge, it's not a deep class. I like Bradley and I who will probably be there with their third-round pick as a situational pass rusher. And he's a good fit for the Jets because 
He's not a three-down player. I don't think he could play against the run in the NFL level yet, but he can really get after the quarterback with a with a very rounded-out pass rush plan and a good first step. You know, a cornerback, it's a really good slot corner class. The Jets don't really need that early on because they brought back Brian Poole on a one-year deal. They need a big outside corner with length and man coverage ability, press coverage ability, and those guys are going to go early. I mean, Jeff Okuda is going to go top five. You know, Jeff Gladney, C.J. Henderson, they're going to go in the first round. Christian Fulton can go in the first round. Jalen Johnson's a perfect scheme fit from Utah. I don't think he'll be there at 48. You know, A.J. Terrell and Trevon Diggs could both be gone. I like Bryce Hall a lot for Virginia. He fractured his ankle, and if he didn't do that, he would have been a top 50 pick. You know, long, physical corner, plays the ball, led the FBS in pass breakups in 2018. You know, 22 pass breakups that year. It's just it's a shame he got hurt his senior year with a significant ankle fracture that's going to, you know, no medical rechecks right now. They need to get that third-party doctor for him and make sure he's all right. And then I think he'll be a third-round pick instead of a second-round pick if that goes okay. So, you know, there's a lot of players that, like every year that I like in this draft class, but I think the positions of need for the Jets, they got 50-50 luck here. They got very lucky. It's a super deep tackle class, super deep wide receiver class. Those are the two positions they need so desperately on offense. The positions they need on defense, uh, edge and corner, just not much there. It's going to, tr- you know, there's good players at the top. Every class is good players at the top, but the Jets don't have an extra first round pick, and those guys are going to be gone. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet.
Connor, you mentioned Jalen Johnson. I think he would be an outstanding player if he can stay healthy, but I think that's a big question. And this year, because of what's going on, it's possible that teams might be a little nervous to pick guys with injury histories earlier on than normal because of the fact that they can't really examine them the way that they have in previous years. Do you think it's possible that players like Jalen Johnson could slide a lot more than people anticipate because of that? So I thought that that was possible, but the NFL actually did something very smart where they're allowing third-party doctors, so no biases, no bias for the team, no Mm -hmm. bias for the player, to do medical rechecks now. Now, will every player go through these? I don't know. Tua went through it, but Tua's you know, obviously needed to go through it. I don't know. We'll see. It's going to help, though. If guys feel they're healthy and they go through that third-party check, it can green light for teams where somebody could be off the board and then they could be back on in the top 50. So for Johnson, you know, I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor or have the, you know, have the the medical information in front of me, but I think, you know, they're going to check out that shoulder. And if it's good – now, shoulders with DBs – it does. It worries me with safeties, obviously, a lot. It's something is the reason I had Jonathan Abram lower than most people last year, and not to be that I told you so, guy. Because trust me, I'm wrong plenty. But Jonathan Abram missed his rookie season because of the same, you know, because of another shoulder injury. So it does worry you, and I'd be very curious to see if he's a guy that goes through another recheck. Let's talk a little bit about sleepers here, Connor, because we've talked about the positions of need with the Jets. But I want to know about some positions that might be nice depth areas later on in the draft. I don't expect the Jets to pick a running back, for example, early in the draft. But maybe they grab one in the fourth round, the fifth round. What about quarterback? I know that they're obviously not going with a quarterback early, but there's the possibility that they try and get one later as perhaps a long-term understudy for Sam Darnold. We've seen teams do this, teams that have franchise quarterbacks. They still draft quarterbacks late in the draft because the idea is pick a quarterback every year. Some guys on special teams, they could use some extra pieces there. Maybe even a punter late in the draft. Our friend Manish has said that the Jets should consider doing that in the seventh round if there's a guy they really like. Who are some of the guys that nobody's really talking about in conjunction with the Jets that you think should be possibilities? And who are some of the players at those positions that you think should be in consideration late in the draft? Well, I like that you brought up running back because that's an area in the fifth round and on. The Jets have two sixth-round picks that I'm looking at to address, probably in the fifth round. I like Eno Benjamin a lot from Arizona State because he's a three-down player. And he fits the Joe Douglas mold of being a tough, productive player. I like Antonio Gibson from Memphis a lot because when you look at Gibson, he played wide receiver there until, you know, they needed him to play running back. He played, you know, I think he had 33 touches at running back, and it's phenomenal film. The guy runs a 4-3-9. He's 6-2-2-21. He's a great kick returner. He has all that experience at wide receiver, but he should play running back at the next level, and he could be a pass-catching back. So I like taking Antonio Gibson, playing him at running back, using him as an emergency wide receiver and letting him return kicks from day one. And if, you know, if you don't want a guy that is a developmental, I don't even want to call him a developmental guy because he looks very, very polished as a runner. But, you know, if you want somebody with a more proven track record and experience, you know, Benjamin is a good player. You know, a guy that could change the pace is Anthony McFarland from Maryland. These are, these are late day three guys, Scott, or, or, you know, fifth round and on guys. I'm not going to give you the Darrington Evans, 
or Zach Mosses of the world that are third-round picks. I don't think the Jets use a third-round pick on a running back. Although we'll see. They have the extra capital to do so if they want. It would just it would shock me in a little bit, even if we are convinced they are moving on from Le'Veon Bell after just one year. Uh, we'll see you know, how they go about that. Quarterback, there's nothing there. After the second round, it's all over, It's which is another reason I don't understand why they didn't sign a real backup quarterback this year. It's, it's kind of mind-blowing. It's a story that's not discussed enough. David Falls does not count. You know, Adam Gase's friend that just follows him from, <laughs> you know, Chicago and then Miami. It's, you know, sorry, David Falls. But when you look at it, there's no there's no good quarterbacks in my eyes after the second round. I think they'll all be gone. I mean, we know that Burrow, Tua, Herbert, and Love could go in the first round. But the second round, I think Fromm, Hurts, and Eason are all going to go. So when you look at it in that regard, you know, Nate Stanley, are they going to take him later on or – you know, uh, Anthony Gordon, James Morgan, guys like that. You know, it's, I'm curious. I don't, I don't even think they take one this year. Maybe they sign a camp arm as a UDFA. But there are a lot of good running backs that I like on day three for the Jets. And I think it's quietly a need because of, you know, there's friction with Bell and Gase. And they don't want to pay Bell what he's due. And I think they'll look to move on after this year, even if he has a good season. So, it's you know, it's a group that, that Jets fans, I think, should be ready to, to hear a new name at even if it's just as a backup this year. Connor, let's say that you're Joe Douglas, and as you said before, you're not because you're analyzing the draft and he's sitting in the GM chair. But let's reverse the roles right now and say that Joe Douglas is co-hosting Stick to Football with Matt Miller, and he's (laughs) bouncing up and down to the Stick to Football music every time it plays, and instead you are sitting at Florham Park in the GM's chair. What would your general draft strategy be and who are some of the players that you would specifically be looking to target with the picks that the Jets have? We've already talked about the tackles and the wide receivers and the guys that you like. But specifically, you're sitting in that chair. Who is it that you're really targeting with the picks that the Jets have? Yeah, I mean, well, I don't want to give away the whole mock draft that's that's going on the Badlands, <laughs> the Badlands feed <laughs> uh, very soon. But I think it's been pretty obvious that I'm vocal about the top three tackles at 11, you know, Wills, Wirfs, and, and Thomas. And if you take Beckton there, I'll be rooting like hell for his development because he could be a hell of a player. It's You see, you know the risk it comes with. And, of course, uh, CeeDee Lamb, I think, is my favorite player in the entire draft. I'm just not exactly sold that that one's on the table yet. You know, I, I love Michael Pittman, Lynn Bowden, Van Jefferson, those guys in rounds two to four. I, I really like that. You know, I talked about a nine. Later on, I like Kenny Willekes, Josh Uche. Those guys are late edge situational edge rush players you know and then the corner class there's a lot of slot guys out if they're going to take a slot guy later on because they know pools on that one-year deal and they, they feel like they got to develop someone behind them i love darnay holmes from ucla he's somebody that you know is very high character player with good athleticism and can thrive in the slot good tackler and good return ability special teams so i, I mean my strategy you know like i said i, I look at this months ahead i, I would have done things differently in free agency um you know i would have i would have really been a little more aggressive on the trade front i I can't speak to you know what teams deandre hopkins was available to but i I won't get on joe douglas for that because that's just a bizarre one but you know the trent williams front is something that i think it should really you know we'll see if something happens but it's something i would have taken a a little more serious there and try to get that solved in 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 an off-season trade so I think I just move at a different pace right now than the GM on a six-year deal because of the quarterback 
getting things right for the quarterback, you know, and I, you, even if you're not thrilled with the coach you have there that you're, you're mandated to keep and that decision's out of your hands, you know, you still got to help out the young quarterback in this offense. So, and especially Greg Williams, who's done a commendable job on defense, he's done a phenomenal job working with what he has excited to see him get some pieces back this year. A guy like CJ Mosley will really, really help that defense and, and do what Greg wants. So, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll guide people to the Badlands mock draft because it's a very long format, seventh round mock draft that goes through all eight picks. But I think if you listen to this show, it gave you a lot of hints. You should definitely go ahead and subscribe to Badlands because you'll get Connor's mock draft. You're going to get exclusive access to his draft grades after the draft is over and the Jets have made their selections. You get exclusive content from Connor and Joe Caparoso, including an awesome interview with all pro linebacker CJ Mosley. So, Connor, I think that today we gave people a fairly decent window into your mind so that they have an idea of what they can expect when they check out your mock draft, but it is up at Badlands right now. So talk a little bit about that and what else you're going to have up there that hasn't been revealed yet, because I know that you're planning to do a lot of great content on the Badlands feed, not just audio, but also written, as we said, and this way people know exactly what they're getting when they sign up. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's loaded with content. There's no doubt about that. It's, you know, it was a project me and Joe decided to do in January and one we were really excited about. When you look at it, you know, we wanted to do the docu-series. We thought it would be cool to package it together. We put in that, you know, including yourself, Scott, thanks to your lovely work. Us three put, put in a lot of work to make this happen. Otherwise, we wouldn't charge for it. It, just, it took a ton of time. It felt like my entire January, every free hour I had was working on that docu-series where whether it was the booking the guests, doing the interviews, you know, sitting down with Joe, uh, communicating with you to get production stuff. So, and, and the quality, we used way higher quality equipment to get that show out. And, you know, then after we felt like, you know, we want people to be a part of this feed. It's almost become a Badlands community. And I, at Bleacher Report, I do a ton of video and podcasting work and I do miss writing. And I thought this was a good spot for me, you know, to write on the Jets where I, I covered the NFL draft and the NFL and college football as a whole, but it's a good, it's a good lane you know, for the Jets followers, you know, to, to follow some of my writing, for us to do more pods, Joe and I, you know, booking more guests. We've had Brandon Thorne on to talk about the offensive line. We've had Manish and Connor Hughes on to talk for agency, which I know your show has done a great job of as well, Scott. It, we've had CJ Mosley on, you know, we're going to get, there's more players coming on the show. So it, yes, it's, you know, I know these aren't the best of times. That's why we're trying to donate a lot of the money that the subscribers give us, you know, whether it's here locally in Hoboken to the first responders and, and our medical personnel. But, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's just been really fun to do something different. Connor, before you go, what do people have in store for them when you do your live coverage on Bleacher Report? Because this is obviously going to be a much different year. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure how the logistics are going to work, but I know that you and Matt Miller are going to be providing first-rate coverage as always. What are people in for when they tune in on the Bleacher Report app? I mean, I'm really glad you asked because we're still doing the draft show. Night one, night two, day three. You know, we're going to be covering at least rounds one through five, every single pick, grading the picks, and it's all going to be live. It's The place to go is either Bleacher Report's YouTube, where the live stream will live, or the Bleacher Report app. I, I mean, Twitter, I think, will be for a lot of social clips, a lot of clip outs, but if you want to watch the entire show, 
get the Bleacher Report app or go on Bleacher Report's YouTube, subscribe, and we'll be live from there. And it really won't feel that different for the viewers. It'll feel very different for me sitting at home on my live stream. Now, the lovely production team at Bleacher Report has set me up with essentially a home, a fully functioning home studio where I have a camera, I have lights, I have my microphone, tons of equipment wired in here where my feed, you know, will be in, in high definition. Same from Miller from his studio, same from Lefko from his home studio. So that, you know, for the viewers, it, it shouldn't feel that different. It's us three on covering the draft live. We have a ton of footage of all these players, a ton of graphics, ton of info rankings, you know, uh, position rankings, all the big boards and stat cards, everything that you could possibly want. You can comment. We'll read your comments and respond. It's, I, I don't know. I'm biased, but as a kid growing up, I love sitting and watching the TV coverage, but I, I think we have taken it to a completely different level because of, we talk about football, Scott, you know, where I, I understand people want to know that whether they want to cut to the player or hear the commissioner speak or all that filler in between, but we talk about the player, the team fit, the grade, what this player's done, what he could do for your team. And I, I'm excited for those. God, it's like 20 hours of live live work in three days. A lot of caffeine. <laughs> I could only imagine. Make sure that you're watching Matt Miller and Connor on the Bleacher Report app during the draft for the best draft coverage. They're going to be doing it as normal this year. It's going to be a little bit different just because of the circumstances, but the same quality coverage, so make sure you check it out. Subscribe to Badlands with Connor and Joe Caparoso. It's a great, great series that they did, and then on top of it, the continued content that they're doing. And as we said, Connor has the mock draft up there, and he's going to have his draft grades right after the Jets are done as well. The only place you can get it is Badlands. You can go to at Connor J. Rogers on Twitter or at J. Caparoso on Twitter. It's on Podbean, but if you go to their Twitter accounts, you'll have links that you can click on to get straight to the feed. And, of course, for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.